It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Stuff is ready. Welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast, Ben Vallis here, thank you for joining us, hope you're doing well. Coming up on the show, the Summer League Celtics defeat the Orlando Magic, continuing their dominant run out here in Vegas, plus the Dennis Schroeder signing and the Celtics Reddit recap. Joining me is the great Wayne Spoonie. Spoons, how are you sir? I'm doing great Ben, I'm here for one thing and one thing only, and that is extreme (laughs) overreactions. Oh, absolutely. I mean, talk about the great dynasties of our time, right? Like you've got the great <laughs> right, dynasties yeah. of Imperial China. You've got the 90s Bulls, the, the Warriors uh, of, of last decade. And uh, right Spurs. now we're blessed with the 2021 Summer League Celtics. Easily better than all of them combined. Completely. 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe some recency bias there, but I'm, I'm right with you there. And uh, Reddit user Leet Speak goes on to say in the post-game thread, second year PP and Neesmith got me salivating. Spoons, where do you want to start with this one? Uh, so I want to start with Neesmith because I think PP, Summer League is made for guards, especially guards that can shoot. So I think Neesmith had a much tougher job to show he was just on a different level than the other Summer League competition. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first game, his shot was off, but I don't think he necessarily played bad. But these last two games, man, it's some of the shots he's taken looks like Tatum out there. Totally. Yeah, I was really, um, I think a lot of people were hoping for a good Neesmith game this time around because it's, it's easy to kind of, okay, now looking back over the three games to write off the first one as like, okay, he was rusty or he was nervous or whatever. But now the sample size is developing and we're sort of seeing that, you know, Neesmith is legit that jump shot of his is legit whether it be uh spot up or off the move he was driving a dishing he was kind of doing everything really well other than some defensive lapses um and it's kind of a relief where coming out of this free agency period not a lot of acquisitions except for Schroeder which we'll get to and so in a sense it's like we have acquired someone and like suddenly Neesmith is talented and suddenly he he can contribute um and so there's a lot to be hopeful there do you think that he's shown enough maybe i'm asking this question too early in in summer league but uh, has he shown enough to potentially start for the celtics in the upcoming season so you are asking the wrong guy if you want an objective (laughs) answer because since the end of the season i have been on the start neesmith hype train from day one i just think he's such a perfect fit next to the jays really on both sides of the ball although i do have some concerns about him defensively Mm mm-hmm 
So what did you see uh, like specifically about like his defense in, in this game in the last couple? So I, I think it's fixable for the most part, but I, you know, he's sort of projected as would be the two guard next to the Jays. I almost mm-hmm. think he's better suited as being sort of the four man. You know, he's pretty strong, right? The dude is cut, uh, but he has a lot of trouble staying with quick guards and quick wings like Bones yeah. Highland on the Nuggets roasted him a few times went right by him and you know you're gonna get go have to go against a lot quicker and better ball handling guards than bones highland if you're playing the two in the starting lineup for an entire season so he a lot of his issue i think right now is positionally he he doesn't give these great ball handlers space right he's long he's got seven foot wingspan he can take a step backwards and still contest the pull up but he's like right up in these guys pockets and it's so easy to just blow right by him because his lateral quickness isn't horrid but it's definitely not a strength so he's got a lot to figure out i do think it's mostly fixable though yeah and you would hope that actual nba help defense is a little stronger and that he could re- rely on that help a little more, you know, particularly whether it's Horford or, or Rob Williams, certainly not Cantor, um, you know, <laughs> defending the paint there, then, you know, if he lets a few go by him, that the team collectively can recover from from that little lapse there. Um, but overall, Neesmith, I mean, I'm smiling ear to ear. Like, it's really going into summer league if you think to yourself, okay, like, what are we hoping for? as fans of the Celtics, as people interested in the long-term success of the Celtics. Okay, so we want Aaron Neesmith to look like he was projected to look like coming out of last year's draft. We want Peyton Pritchard to essentially do the same. We want our two best summer league players to look like they'll be contributing members of the actual Celtics roster this upcoming season. And I just don't think that there's any doubt that that's absolutely the case. Mission accomplished. Absolutely. <laughs> um. What else we got here? I mean, I suppose we should get to some other players on the roster. Uh, actually, are we sure Beal is better than Neesmith? Are we sure? Do we still want to go ahead with this trade? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> the jury is out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, you know, we talked about the goodness of Pritchard and Neesmith being an important factor to the success of the team. But, I mean, you've also got to factor in that if, if a trade were to happen for Beal or for, you know, you know, um, a Levine or whatever other superstar that we still have that flexibility for. These guys being good is great in that sense as well. It's like suddenly it's like a spicy addition to a trade um, and right. we can suddenly add more value to a potential trade with a, with another suitor out there. Whereas a few days ago before this dominant summer league run, um, that may not have been the case. Yeah, I mean, just from a pure asset value play, those two guys, those two guys showing they can be legitimate role players at, you know, 22 and 21 years old makes them so much more valuable to really any team uh, because they have skill sets where, you know, if you're kind of middling but want to stay competitive, uh, they can both help you right now. And they've also got potential to continually get in, get better, especially Neesmith uh, with his physical gifts. I think Pritchard's mm-hmm. a little closer to his ceiling than Neesmith is. But yeah, I, 
I'm incredibly bullish on these two's future now. I'm almost, you know, I'm getting kind of selfish, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't we want to include them in a trade. I don't know, I know man. Right? <laughs> it always happens. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, it is easy to let your sort of your mind run away with it because they are showing themselves to be very talented and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to what I said a moment ago, like coming out of the, this free agency period and it being very underwhelming, suddenly to see that these assets have been right under our nose the whole time, so to speak, is just really, it's a relief and very promising. Um, Peyton Pritchard versus Aaron Neesmith for Summer League MVP. Clearly, it comes down to those two. Um, I, I say only partially in jest. Uh, if you had to pick one for Summer League MVP, who are you going with? Uh f- I would say Pritchard. I mean, he's just been excellent from basically... He was a little rough in the first half of the first game, but since the second half of the first game, he has just looked like an entirely different level of player. I mean, he's dominated the tempo and the pace of the game. He's really set the table for everybody, and he's hitting threes from like 40 feet out. I mean, I think he's got to be the MVP. Yeah, and that's it's almost becoming a more like expected NBA skill set, particularly for a point yeah. guard to be able to hit those pull up threes from a step inside the center court logo. Um, he's got that. I think we we may see similar defensive shortcomings with Pritchard that we discussed with Neesmith, particularly in the postseason. But you know, it's his second league; it's the beginning of his second year in the league, so um, you, you know, he's not going to be perfect at this point. I'm I'm actually I'm pouring over the the box score from this game now. Pouring over a summer league game box score. This is uh, this is the off season, folks. This is where we're at. And uh, <laughs> Neesmith, eighteen points, a plus thirty three. Uh, is that good? Game high. I believe that's good. Yeah, I think that means yeah. that he impacted the game positively, very positively. In fact, yeah. um, eighteen points, four assists, nine rebounds, only two of seven from three. 28.6% from beyond the arc, which, uh, yeah, having watched the game, doesn't doesn't seem accurate. But um, I think it was more, uh, and this is an extension of how impressive he was in the last game, that he was, you know, being defended pretty savagely behind the three-point line, but yeah. was uh, immediately, like, adjusting and reacting to that and dribbling a few steps in and either making the right play, hence those four assists, or pulling up for, he had a floater at one point, he had a couple of, like, pull-up Js from the mid-range, yep. just so impressive. I really think we could do an hour on Neesmith Earspoons, um, but on Pritchard and Neesmith <laughs> Don't tempt <there's>, me. <laughs> well, I'm tempting you now. Is there anything you want to add on those two before we move on? Um, I, I will not really on Pritchard, but on Neesmith, I will say that um, if he has that like pull-up in his bag, I mean, how he's going to get to the point where he's really a weapon because you're not going to be able to leave him open. Mm-hmm. And then if you've got to close out on him, he can pump, go, and if you help, he can just stop and hit that little nice, smooth, mid-range jumper on you. And uh, he's flashed some passing chops that, you know, he really didn't seem like he was projected to have coming out of college. But he, he did a little bit uh, during the season. But Summer League, it seems like he's got one or two passes a game where I'm like, ooh, all right, Neesmith, that was that was pretty. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see the little things he had to develop throughout the course of last season when he, his, his shot wasn't falling, the little things he had to develop to actually find playing time, and now sort of coming to this meeting point with his initial shooting skill set, it's like suddenly he's, again, it's summer league, it's very early, 
probably overreacting, but it's sort of forming this very like overall very complete player. Um, very yeah. excited to see how that sort of manifests in the in the real life NBA season. What about um, Juhan Bigarin? I know I still have not learned how to say his name correctly. I think I'm getting closer. Um, but thoughts on the youngster there, Spoons? Uh, you know, I've been pretty impressed with him. I didn't know what to expect other than I knew he was going to be super athletic and, you know, physically very gifted. And he kind of almost hasn't shown a ton of that. Like, I don't can't remember really a high flying dunk, although he had one block today that was absolutely ridiculous. I think it was Cole Anthony threw up a floater and he like blocked it at the peak. I mean, mm-hmm. it was crazy. Uh, but what I've been most impressed by him is his ability. I mean, he's very young. I think he like just turned 19. He's kind of fit in a role around Pritchard and Neesmith and some of these other more experienced guys and is just doing kind of the little things, doing the dirty work. I think he had like seven assists and eight rebounds tonight. Yeah, um, double watch. Just ma- <laughs> yeah, right. And he's just making the right play. You know, he's spotting up and he's hit a few spot up jumpers and his handle looks a little better than I expected. And defensively, man, the guy is, I mean, he's, he's thick, man. He looks like Grant Williams out there, Uh, but he can move his feet and he generally seems to know where to be. And he's got that crazy wingspan. So I've been super impressed. I will say my expectations were basically zero, so Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been hard for to be impressed, but I mean, he's looked good. Yeah, it kind of made me consider, like, with how you know we just saw it with the Olympics, with how the sort of the gradually spreading success of international basketball prowess, like the forty-fifth pick, you know, deep into the second round, there is maybe not what it used to be, and there are like talents to be found uh, in that situation there, and obviously he's very raw and he, he can't shoot at all, but. If you, I mean, you could make a short list of NBA ready aspects to his game, and it's certainly the athleticism and that thickness and the defense. Uh, he does seem very solid. Like he, he seems like yeah, he's not making a lot of mistakes out on the court as far Agreed. as like spacing and positioning on both ends of the floor. And as you said, nineteen. Like thinking back to when I was nineteen, like man, I was a fucking idiot when I was nineteen. I couldn't do anything <laughs> right, and this guy is like pretty, oh, pretty no. solid, pretty mature on the court. <laughs> it's good to see. So you know, he probably won't. We probably won't see him on the roster this year, but you know, similar to to Yam Madal, he you know we have his rights, and um, if he continues to improve, certainly doesn't need to from a from a physicality standpoint. Then uh, we may see him in a Celtics jersey in uh, in years to come. Yeah. Should we move on to Carson Edwards? Yeah. Because the, there are points that we need to get to there. Um, <sighs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just ask, are we ready to hand out the final verdict on Carson Edwards? I actually didn't think Carson played all that bad this past season in his extremely limited minutes. I thought he had a few games where he kind of gave a little spark, maybe hit a jump shot. He... I do like the pace that he plays with. You know, the second he gets the ball, he hits it and he goes, which I really like. But man, the guy just has the craziest tunnel vision. I mean, mm-hmm. he never, ever passes. <laughs> and when he does, it's never a dangerous pass. It's never putting pressure on the defense. It's like, oh, crap, I dribbled myself into a position where I can't get a shot off, so I better try to pass it. Mm -hmm. So I am getting to the point. His shooting, 
I mean, he can shoot the ball. I, I think he can really shoot the ball. He's got some borderline NBA skills, but I just think at this point, I don't think the upside to keeping him is high enough to have him taken up a roster spot. So if you can find somebody to take him for free, clear a roster spot, not have to pay him anymore, I would do it. Yeah, and it may be mutually beneficial. Like He, he may benefit from an, a different situation at this point in time. I think he's probably... Yeah, his time has run out in a, in a Celtics green jersey yeah. at this point. I mean, I just think that we have each, both parties have shown each other everything they can to one another. Um, and I think it's time to, to end that relationship. But, you know, there comes the challenge of finding a team to, to take on his, I mean, it's obviously not an albatross contract, but we're still going to no. find someone to pay him. So there's a bit of a challenge there. But I wouldn't expect necessarily to see him going into training camp and, and certainly not the, the regular season there. Uh, but he, I mean, he had a decent game. Like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to dive back into this box score here very quickly. No, please. Carson Edwards, okay, not not that decent. So 13, uh, seven points plus 13. Okay, so it wasn't really that good, but it wasn't terrible. Actually, no, it was pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. Looking at the stats here, you know, 15 minutes, three of nine, one of four from three. You know, you're talking about he does have some NBA skills. Shooting is really what we need him to do. Like, come out and shoot like you did for a brief stretch there at Purdue. Um, and he's had like what two three years to do that, and he's just outside of some games in Cleveland. <laughs> he's never really done that. Yeah, so. right. Yep. All right. Well, I mean, I don't see any reason to to stay on Carson Edwards unless you've got any other points you want to add. I do not. Uh, see you later, Carson. It's been fun, <laughs> I guess. All right. It's time for a new segment we've just created called Grant Williams or. So here's a question for you. <laughs> um. Who would you rather see on the roster heading into this season, Grant Williams or Bruno Fernando? This is the most unfair question <laughs> on earth. So Bruno was not good for Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just like he just is so much better than the other scrub big men that are on this Celtics Summer League roster. He seems like a complete revelation. Yeah, but I like feel comfortable. I, I know when Bruno's out there, I'm like, all right, man, we got the center out there. We're good. We're going to go on a run. Um, and I don't know. He looks like he can move his feet a little bit on the defensive end. He's he's big. I mean, he's long. He's blocking shots. He's contesting like everything at the rim. And it seems like he can finish around the rim on the offensive end a little bit, which is all you really need for what would be our fourth center. So I like what I've seen from Bruno. I think he's a good rebounder too. And then you've got Grant, who is kind of towing this line between doing everything well enough that he's extremely versatile or doing nothing well enough that he can't be in the NBA anymore. So mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't think I can realistically, having seen Grant provide actual legitimate playoff minutes in high leverage situations i would probably still take grant williams but bruno with this play in the summer league which i know is insane (laughs) to say has i have i think he's made it a conversation yeah i think you know what you said about bruno being pretty terrible for atlanta in the nba you know last season and great for the celtics in the summer league now really adds an important like counterbalance to all the points we've discussed so far in that it is the summer league and there is a very 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 noticeable 
talent and skill drop off there. So everything needs to be taken with a grain of salt, unfortunately, including the, the great play of, of Peyton Pritchard and uh, um, Aaron Neesmith there. Grant Williams or Sam Hauser? <laughs> we won't play this game much longer, I, I promise. <laughs> I almost feel like they operate, they sort of play the same position. Because I feel like Sam is not quick enough to play like the three. So he's going to have to play the four. And Grant is sort of a four, but he's almost best at small ball five. So the thing, the one thing I'll say is Hauser can stroke it, man. He hit like Mm -hmm. six or seven threes today. I mean, he was launching those things quick trigger. Uh, I do think he's going to get murdered on the defensive end. And Grant sort of vacillates between having a nice defensive game and getting murdered on the defensive end himself. Um, But I do think Hauser will absolutely bring more offensive value next year unless Grant figures some things out. So I would still stick with Grant Williams simply because I think the player type of Hauser, six foot nine white dude that can't play defense, but can hit threes is very easy to find. There's a lot of those guys out there. I mean, if Hauser shows he can defend a little bit, he would jump Grant very quickly for me. But right mm-hmm. now, we've seen Grant do it against, you know, in the playoffs, two, two yeah. years, going on two years ago now. <laughs> yeah. So there's only so much goodwill he's bought, but I'm still going to ride that goodwill and hope he can figure it out. Yeah, look, I agree with you. Like, we're having fun here with, with Grant Williams at, at his expense, unfortunately. But of the three players, <laughs> like Grant Williams, I think is still the guy to go with. Um, I mean, his his mom works for NASA. There's some smarts in there. It's just about can Ime right. Doka tap into that. Um, so we'll, we'll see. A couple of Reddit comments here. So Jesus Christ 2020 wrote Peyton Pritchard, not just with the shooting, but with the passing. Hockey assists matter just as much, but don't show up on the box score. Reddit user I hate clutch sports wrote, "Is Yam in the doghouse? Surprised he didn't get any minutes in garbage time." Spoons like, "Yeah, we we didn't see a lot of Yam Madar in this game, and certainly not in the second half." There, what did you make of that? You know, I'm not really sure. I, he was not amazing, but I thought he was much better than last game. This game, mm-hmm. um, I wonder if. I mean, he's painfully thin. I wonder if he's just kind of getting a little banged up with all the physicality. Uh, so I, I'm not really sure. I mean, he can't really hit a three, which is concerning. But otherwise, I didn't think he was amazing tonight. But he made some plays. He looked involved. I, I, I'm not really sure why he didn't see any more minutes, especially you might as well let him play. We're up by 40. Hmm. I could see him on the bench. Pardon the expression. He was rubbing his groin on like on the bench, but like literally like the inside of his leg. Like he, he may have had like an injury or or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's the only thing I can think of because surely at that point in the game where the Celtics are up like fifty or whatever they are, it, it's time to play Yam and and get him some you know some proper playing time there. But you know they weren't for whatever reason. I, I thought it was a little bit risky to to continue continue playing Pritchard and and Neesmith at that point in the game where like okay. They're great. We see that. It's clearly time to start preparing them yeah, for the, the longer <laughs> NBA season. Yeah. Maybe let's, yeah. let's put Yam in the game and, um, and see what happens. But uh, no, just sitting on the bench rubbing his groin there. So hopefully 
everything everything's okay with the old grade. That's exactly <laughs> what I did in high school basketball as well. So yeah, I think a lot of Celtics fans were also rubbing their groin watching this game. But uh, I digress. Um, it's unfortunate for Jalen Suggs as well, who looked great. <laughs> uh, he did. Yeah, Suggs is going to be a player, man. Sure. Yeah, but the wrist injury there, uh, Carson Edwards was like very um, aggressive in his defense, and it was almost like you know when you play like pickup ball and guys are playing too hard, and you're like, come on, like relax, like we're Chill just trying out, to dude. get a workout yeah. in. It's a little right. bit like that with Carson Edwards today, where he sort of he had the headbutt there, um, and he actually left the game. He didn't, I think, play the second half of the game due to an injury he sustained to his ear, I think, um, and then got tangled up with Jalen Suggs, and of course caused that wrist injury there as well. So. A little unfortunate to see, but Suggs was very entertaining in the first half. Any other missed points you want to get to on this incredibly important summer league game by the Celtics before we move on? <laughs> no, I think we hit everybody. Cool. All right, well, look, before we get to the Reddit recap, just quickly, the Boston Celtics signed free agent guard Dennis Schroeder to the one-year taxpayers mid-level exception. Unbelievable talent-to-cost ratio there. Spoons, what are your thoughts on the Schroeder signing? Uh, so, I mean, for the price, I absolutely love it. Uh, sure. There's been a lot of conversation about his fit on the team, and I would contend uh, if he could shoot it better, he'd be the perfect fit, but he can't. So I still think he's going to be a wonderful fit. And let me kind of give you uh, some stats here. Please. So, after the trade deadline last year, our offense was 12 points per 100 possessions better with Kemba Walker on the court. Now, Kemba was healthy and played better, but it's not like he was, you know, prime Charlotte Kemba Walker. We were 17th in drives per game, 25th in number of attempts in the restricted area, so effectively layups, and only 20th in number of spot-up possessions per game. So what that tells me is we're not putting pressure on the rim. We're not getting the defense to collapse and we're not getting finding open shooters. Now, Kemba, not that great anymore, but he can definitely put pressure on the rim still, right? He can run a pick and roll and get all the way to the rim and, you know, his kick out passing sort of comes and goes, but... I think there's something to the fact that we were so desperate for the skill set that Kemba possesses that even though he was not playing that well, it still supercharged our offense. So Schroeder averaged 13.3 drives per game last year, which would have have led the Celtics. Mm -hmm. He passed 43%. Out of his drives, he passed 43% of the time, which is 10% more often than Tatum. So Schroeder consistently puts pressure on the rim, and he pretty consistently looks for open shooters, looks for those spot-up attempts. And spot-ups are one of the most efficient plays in basketball. Uh, You know, a middling spot-up attempt is usually going to be more... uh, efficient than just about any isolation short of it being like James Harden or something. So mm-hmm. I think Schroeder has that skill set that we're really desperate for, uh, especially for someone that's not Jason Tatum to actually get into the paint, put pressure on the rim and make plays for people. So I think he'll be a nice, nice fit if he keeps his head on straight. 
Yeah, absolutely. And great breakdown with the stats there to really illustrate, you know, what his impact might be on the team. That was going to be my first question for you. It was like, how does he fit with this team? Clearly bringing a relevant, very relevant and necessary skill set, uh, especially with guys like Fournier and Kemba going out the door this offseason. Yeah. Do you think um, Coach Adoka actually starts him or do you think he comes off the bench? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he makes a ton of sense starting. I just think smart Jays, I would say Neesmith personally yeah. and Rob. <laughs> Uh, I think, you know, that's going to be a super dynamic offensively. Uh, anytime you have both the Jays out there, I think our offense is going to be just fine, especially if Rob is healthy. Uh, and then I, I would just prefer Schroeder coming off the bench to prop up some of those bench units that unless Tatum plays 48 minutes a game, I mean, they've been desperate for offense and Schroeder and Al Horford pick and roll that's going to be a weapon I mean that's going to be really tough to stop to stop if Horford's hitting his threes so I would prefer him off the bench I think it makes the most sense and Smart always misses 10 games a season because he dives into a bench or you know does something (laughs) crazy so it'll be nice to have you know that sort of safety of all right well we've got a starting caliber point guard we can just plug in and go play yeah, just depth. Like between Smart, Richardson, yeah. and Schroeder, those are three guys that you could theoretically start at point guard on any given night, you know, based on injuries and availability and, and fingers crossed, hopefully not COVID. Um, so certainly some depth there that we haven't had the advantage of in the last few years. So, and at that price, really, that's like an unbelievable get for, for Brad Stevens in what is you know, shaping out to be a very winning offseason, a debut offseason yeah. for, for him as the president there. Um, I can't imagine what that conversation was like. I, I can't imagine what Trudeau is, is going through in terms of like, yes, he's being paid millions of dollars to play a game, but significantly less millions of dollars than what he was only very recently offered to play with the Lakers. Uh, Reddit user Southwest Air Biscuit wrote, couldn't stand this guy, but I saw someone on Twitter mention he hates the Lakers and he hates Kyrie. So I'll take it. It's just a win all around. Both, a, win, a win for all sides. Both of those things are true. I mean, think about it. We signed Tristan Thompson for three more million dollars a year last year. I'd say yeah. this is a little better signing. Uh, all right. We're going to take a very quick break and be back in a moment for the Reddit recap. All right. Welcome back. This is the Reddit recap. And we're starting with a post by our very own Wayne Spoonie. The post is titled Unlocking the Secret, Why Jason Tatum Must Pass His Way to Superstardom. And posts like this are exactly why the Reddit recap exists, like to be able to go over great original content like this spoons and, and discuss it, uh, you know, obviously verbally and sort of, um, you know, base a, a longer form discussion off of it. Um, for those who haven't had the chance to read it yet, can you just explain the, the underlying thesis of the post? Yeah, so uh, it's actually going to sound a little bit about what I was talking about with Schroeder a second ago. Um, So basically, I contend that Jason Tatum is already an efficient and high enough volume scorer to be a superstar, but he is not one yet. And I contend that the reason he is not one yet is because he doesn't pass enough. Not that he can't make the passes other superstars make but he just doesn't look to make them and to me that is a mindset thing and a role thing and he's going to have an opportunity to be put in a position where he is effectively running the offense as a point guard next year a lot and I want to see him 
move the ball, get guys involved. You know, the ball has energy. Tatum can set the tone. You know, we all want to see us go back to the IT years of drive, kick, drive, kick. Everyone touches the ball, every possession. And Tatum is good enough where he can foster that if he sets his mind to it. And I think if he does, it will be beneficial for him and the Celtics long term. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what our summer league offense looks like at the moment. There's a lot of drive and kick, a lot of everybody touching the ball. And you you hope that it's kind of like this trickle down of the Ime Udoka, uh, I guess, like offensive principles, I suppose. And and that's certainly going to be, we hope, spearheaded by by Tatum and Brown. Looking at, I was having a look at cleaning the glass for Tatum's assist percentage stats. Uh, So assist percentage is like what percentage of his teammates made shots did he assist on? 19.6%, 19.6%, so that's in the 91st percentile league-wide, which is pretty good, but, you know, based on the, the outcome of last season, not good enough, which, I, you know, I think is part of what you're contending here, uh, Spoons. But certainly, um, I guess, you know, a top five success metric for the Celtics going into this season is what does that aspect of Tatum's game look like? What improvements has he made, as well as, are the coaching staff putting him in a position to succeed in that mindset? Um, I've got some comments here on that post, so replies from a couple of Reddit users. So Uzi Levert wrote, and I'm, I'm summarizing their, their comment here. It was much longer than what we have time for. Tatum had subpar talent around him last year once JB and Campbell went down. The playmaking should open up for him next season when we've got more talent and shooters around him. Uh, what are your thoughts on that response? I think there's absolutely some truth to that. I mean, it's always going to be easier when you have more talent around you. Um, I will say, I mean, I linked some clips where he's basically looking off elite catch and shoot shooters and not making the pass (laughs) to instead do a crappy little, you know, pull up or a shitty little mid range jumper that has zero chance of going in. I mean, he's looking off Pritchard. He's looking off Jalen. I mean, what more do you want? An open Jalen Brown in the corner. I mean, that's (laughs) one of the most efficient plays in basketball, period. So I do think there's some truth to it. I do think he'll be able to put more pressure on the rim with better teammates around him. But I ultimately think it's going to come down to his willingness to do it. Yeah. Well, what about this approach? So another user, Gotchu, wrote, he needs to make quick passes and work on his off-ball game. While he is so damn talented and my favorite player at the moment, watching him drain the shot clock just to go ISO against a double is not pleasing to say the least. So I think the main takeaway there is the the notion of him improving his off-ball game. Do you think that that ranks, you know, along with the uh, the need to improve playmaking, is the off-ball game improvements ranked equally to that or is it is, should it be a lesser priority for Tatum? So I think there's an argument to be made that he could be one of the most devastating off-ball players in the league. Here's why I think that should be secondary to him becoming a better on-ball player. In order for us to be a championship-caliber team and you move Tatum off-ball, you basically have to find someone just as good as him to be on-ball and be that primary ball handler when it's game seven and there's two minutes left and you need somebody to make a play. I love Jalen. He's an amazing player, but he's an amazing off-ball player. Tatum right now is in a position where he can be an amazing on-ball 
hub of an offense. You know, he won't be Luka, but he can do his damage, I think, in a a similar way to like Jimmy Butler with a jump shot. Yeah. And that is an unstoppable force. So that's why I just think his ceiling is a lot higher on ball than it is off ball. Sure, absolutely. Well, it's going to be interesting to monitor for that this season, and we'll do a pod before the season starts, sort of outlining what are the success metrics to to keep an eye on throughout the course of the season, and what you know, what on paper will a successful season looks like. But I think that's like definitely right at the top of that list. So looking no forward doubt. to uh, keeping an eye on that. Uh, and great post, you know, if you haven't had a chance to read that, um, head to Celtics Reddit. It's there. It's you know, it's one of the currently most upvoted posts on the sub. So uh, very much worth checking out. And the rare double success rate there, spoons. I see you got um, upvoted quite generously on the NBA subreddit as well. So that's, that's amazing. That does not happen all the <laughs> no. time. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, we're going to end on this one. This was posted by user Exo Sirock Obama OX. I uh, hope I've got that right. Titled "Favorite Random Ass Celtic of All Time," and they go on to write. Me first, Greg Steemsma, who I agree with. Uh, good defender. Some would say as good as Bill Russell himself. Also seemed to be a humble guy. Spoons, favorite random Celtic of all time. All right, I got a brief story for you. So Please. this is uh, some of the younger folk on Reddit may not remember this guy, but folks our age who are in our 20s for the championship run certainly will. So it was uh, my sophomore or junior year of college. I go to Dick's Sporting Goods. I don't know if you guys have those in Australia, but it's no. a huge sporting goods store. Okay, okay. all right. It's, it's National Sporting Goods Store, right? And they just got in a bunch of like high quality, like, you know, the jerseys, uh-huh. like it's a shirt jersey. Yeah. And this wasn't like the cheap ironed on BS, like it was stitched on like a jersey. <laughs> An authentic jersey. Yeah. (laughs) 15 years later, I'm like, what a stupid ass thing that was, that (laughs) jersey. But I bought this guy's jersey because I was like, oh, he went to college fairly locally and he's good. So he'll stay on the team, but he's not good enough to have any value in a trade. So I purchased... Ryan Gomes's jersey <laughs> in March of 2007. That summer, he got yeah. traded in the KG trade. But I loved Gomes. He went uh, to Providence. Uh, he was, you know, kind of a weird in between game. I think you'd fare better in the modern NBA, certainly. where you don't need to be quite as tall as a four man. But yeah, that's that's my guy. I always love Gomes. Yeah, Still have it one. too. <laughs> well, you never know. It could develop some. Uh, we've got these top shot NFTs developing, you know, mystical <laughs> yeah. worth out of nowhere. So who knows how you can get, um, how far you can go with an authentic Ryan Gomes jersey. A uh, couple of Reddit comments <laughs> here on the post. Lucio OO wrote Jordan Crawford looked like a stud for a hot minute. Obviously, we love Jordan Crawford on this show. Big Terry yeah, Rogier, fan of the pod. Yeah, hopefully, future guest. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Terry Rogier, 2026 MVP, wrote uh, Mikhail Peach was really clutch in the 2012 2012 2012 Eastern Conference Finals yeah. sorry Charlie for Norris wrote Gigi Dotome which I think is uh, maybe the ultimate random Celtic I think up there with, yeah. with Steve Smart I've got a couple so Luke Harangodi is the first one that came to mind um, I seem to mention him at any available opportunity on this podcast I'm not sure why he just had some some almost, almost Tice-like qualities to him a four man with hustle. I remember KG really loved him. So uh, Luke Harangodi brings back 
pleasant memories for me. The other one is Von Wafer. Uh, it's a story time for uh, yeah. me. So I, uh, I guess it was 2011 in April and I was just starting to make enough money where I could make a decision to randomly travel from Sydney to Boston to see you know, my lifelong beloved Celtics play. And that's exactly what I did. I was single at the time and I had some, you know, annual leave saved up and I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to get on a plane, go to Boston and see the Celtics for the first time in my life. And tell you what, after traveling for like 24 hours, I went via South Korea to New York and then got a bus to Boston. It was crazy. Finally walking into the TD Garden after like just watching the Celtics your entire life is a very surreal experience because it's almost like something that doesn't really exist. It's just on TV. You walk it's in. Like a show. Anyway, exactly. Uh, and saw a couple of Celtics games, uh, but only one of them played the Celtics starters. So it was late in April, and it was sort of a spur of the moment decision to go. So the first game was the Celtics versus the Wizards, rookie John Wall, and you know I got to see KG, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Rondo. It was a great game. And then I got on a flight to Washington. DC, which is where the next Celtics game was. And unfortunately for me, I didn't forecast the fact that Doc Rivers would not play his starters two, three games before the postseason started. So I went a very, (laughs) very long way to watch guys uh, like Glenn Davis and Von Wafer play basketball. And I was at that game where Von Wafer threw down the dunk that he missed without realizing that he missed it. Do you remember the game? He threw down the dunk. He sort of celebrated it, but he had actually completely missed the dunk. And I was one of the only Celtics fans in the house uh, while everyone at DC sort of, um, you know, booed him for for that moment. So Von Wafer (laughs) has a a very, dare I say, special place in my mind as a a random Celtic who I'll never forget for some very, very stupid reasons. Any other random Celtics sort of spring to mind throughout the course of this this podcast? I I noticed that most people in the thread, no one mentioned anyone sort of pre- 2000, uh, which I think sort of indicates the average age of, of a Celtic Redditor, but is, are there any older random Celtics that come to mind? Uh, he's a running joke between me and my buddies, Vitaly Potopico. Uh, <laughs> a lot of hype for Vitaly. It did not pan out. Uh, but I also loved Ricky Davis when he was a Celtic. Uh, yeah, that's he what missed, I was going to say. I went, I went to a game. I had just gotten my license, and I went to, went to a game, and Ricky Davis blew like a windmill dunk on a fast break so i'll never forget that one either but those are definitely my two kind of older brand yeah nice nice well that was that was a fun thread to to wake up and read this morning and a fun way to end this podcast that is going to do it for this one thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed the show please leave us a nice rating and review that really helps us out we'll obviously be back soon as we continue to cover this dominant summer league run by the celtics wayne spoonie love your work mate thanks again thank you until next time go celtics peace